Hello and welcome to The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24. Each week, the sharpest minds and freshest thinkers in finance take you beyond the numbers and hype, right to the heart of the big issues of the day. This week, we're bringing you the next in our short series of special programmes, looking back at the recent UBS European Conference. We've picked out a few of the key panels and themes to explore in greater depth. Last time, we talked about cryptocurrencies and CBDCs. In a few weeks' time, we'll take a deeper dive into the private equity space too. Today, though, we're talking about monetary policy, and I'm delighted to welcome Reinhard Kluser back to the programme and to introduce Jonathan Pingle to our audience too. Jonathan's chief US economist at UBS Investment Bank. His panel at the conference was US Economic Outlook, Rate Hikes, Recession or Both? Reinhard's the chief European economist in UBS Investment Bank, and his panel at the conference was called Europe, Lots of Pain, Is There Any Gain? It's a pleasure to welcome both Reinhard and Jonathan to the programme this week. Reinhard, I'll start with you first of all, and I guess to pick up on the title of that panel, we should be and we are continuing to focus more on the pain side of that equation. Europe's very much in the eye of the storm at the moment. Tell us a bit about what you and your colleagues learnt from that panel. Yeah, look, I think that the energy crisis will imply in the short term that Europe is facing a very difficult winter, 2022-23, but also very difficult winter, 23-24. So this is not going to be a short-term affair. The energy crisis will have Europe in its grip for multiple years, at least until 2024, if not longer. I think this will greatly complicate the conduct of monetary policy and fiscal policy, but will also have profound changes to the structure of the European economy. One thing we heard, for example, is that energy intensive producers believe that Europe's competitiveness as a location for energy intensive production is suffering significantly and that this is likely to lead to quite a bit of leakage of energy intensive production away from Europe towards the US, Northern America and other places. So this is going to lead to, you know, very meaningful structural change in Europe over the next couple of years. This transition is going to be very difficult. In the end, I think we will have an energy system and an economy in Europe that is independent from Russian energy. We will have much better integrated energy system, energy infrastructure. We will have a lower carbon footprint. So we'll be a lot more sustainable, but the transition towards this end game is going to be very painful with weaker growth, pressure on corporates, pressure on employment, pressure on household consumption and overall GDP growth. Well, look, there's a a whole host of things to pick up on there, Reinhard, and we'll get to those in due course. But if we look at the picture on the other side of the pond, Jonathan, let me bring you in here. Your panel was headlined US economic outlook, rate hikes, recession or both. Just tell me, were there any kind of surprises in terms of the discussions that took place as part of that panel? And do you feel that question? Does that remain the germane one to be asking? Yeah, I think the um, after having done the um, panel, I think that the title now was apt. You know, I was surprised about two things. One was the common shared bearishness of the outlooks. I mean, we had three quite different backgrounds. The uniform expectation was a pretty material weakening in the U.S. economy next year, which was not what I chose, even though that is our economic outlook here at UBS. The other big surprise, you know, aside from the near universal expectation that the U.S. economy weakens going forward. The other big surprise was how quickly the panelists thought that the Federal Reserve would turn from very hawkish hiking towards lowering interest rates. Now, 
again, this was not expected at all from the panelists, but we did a quick round of uh, Q&A at the end, and each one of the panelists thought that the Fed would, due to the economic weakness, turn towards lowering interest rates sometime late next year. So that was, I think, a little surprising. Those views do generally correspond to our view here at UBS about where the outlook for the U.S. economy and the Federal Reserve are headed. But it was very surprising to hear three different backgrounds of three uh, astute economic advisors and economists in their own right have similar conclusions. Right. Well, let me ask, before we delve into some more detail, some of the questions prompted by your opening remarks, gentlemen, what about this big, I guess, a, a key question about the direction of travel? Are we headed for a global recession? Reinhard, back to you. I guess we kind of need to talk about that when we're looking at things through this prism. What's your sense in terms of whether we're headed for a recession globally? Yeah, look, if you look at the UBS Global Economic Outlook that was published just a couple of days ago, the growth forecasts that we now have globally are very subdued. So following a growth rate of 3.2% in 2022, we now expect just 2.1% global growth in 2023. If you leave out the global financial crisis and the COVID crisis, that's the lowest growth rate globally since 1993. And as we phrase it, this justifies the term global recession. So it is positive growth. But by historical perspective, this is very weak. It doesn't feel great. I think the pain in Europe is clearly front-loaded. Compared with that, in the US, I think the pain will come a bit delayed relative to Europe. But I'll hand over to Jonathan in this regard. Reinhardt is you know, front and center for where the current economic weakness is emerging with Europe and the energy crisis. You know, in the U.S., the story is a little bit more delayed, in part because we're already starting to see the early signs of monetary policy tightening, you know, hit housing in the U.S., for example. But we would expect the early signs now to mount into a more material headwind in the next few quarters. We also have a little bit of momentum left in the U.S. economy. We were a little less affected by the rise in gas prices, which have since come down, a little less affected because we've got more localized natural gas markets here in the U.S., But we are seeing things like the household savings that were built up be spent out at quite a rapid rate. We're seeing credit card balances starting to rise, signs that households are kind of increasingly running through these buffers that they built up. And combined with, you know, the tensions that higher interest rates are going to create, we have a little bit more of a lag before we expect the really acute weakness in the U.S. to develop. Right. Let me come back to your introductory remarks then. You talked really interestingly about these changes in energy infrastructure, interdependence, certainly in in Europe. What are then the longer term implications for this change? Is it the end of the era of cheap energy? And what does that threaten to do? I mean, its impact is so far reaching, isn't it? But in short, what's the kind of likely impact, the implications of this sort of era defining shift? Yeah, so I think it is quite likely that the area of cheap energy prices in Europe is coming to an end. This will trigger very meaningful and profound change. As I said, you know, particular energy intensive production is going to leak out of Europe. Our colleagues here in the chemical team at UBS have pointed out that more than 50% or around 50% of the global production of chemical goods is based in Europe. And a lot of that is, of course, energy intensive production. So Against this background, we believe that Europe's competitiveness to host these sort of corporates has suffered a great deal, and this will lead to a global reshuffle of production 
of energy intensive goods. So that will mean if you are an energy intensive producer, even if you don't shift production abroad, you will have to fundamentally shift the way you work. So this will put pressure on many corporates, not just those who are in the eye of the storm. So eventually, therefore, this will lead to quite a few years of profound change. In the end, as I already said, I think we'll have much more sustainable energy systems in Europe. We have better integrated energy infrastructure, much less dependent on Russian gas, as I said, and we will have a cleaner way of producing goods and services. But the transition period, that is what worries us. That is going to be difficult. We will lose production. We will lose employment. The return of an, on investment in many of these sectors is going to suffer. Inflation will also remain elevated for some time. So this is going to have a negative impact on household purchase power. The ECB will have to react to higher rates of inflation. So financial conditions will be somewhat tighter than would otherwise be the case. So all combined, the transition is going to imply lower growth in Europe. So it's going to be painful to get to the end game, which might well be a cleaner one. Yeah, absolutely. Jonathan, what about the monetary policy picture stateside? Obviously, there's still a great deal of volatility. There's you know, a degree of political uncertainty, obviously, looking at the kind of midterms, etc. And we're in an interesting point in the political cycle. But in terms of monetary policy, what do you think the key sort of things to flag are, to think about, to be aware of as we look into 23 and beyond? Yeah, well, headed into 2023, I think the picture for the Fed is relatively clear. I mean, we can debate plus or minus this, but the broad sweep of what's unfolded in 2022 has been much higher than expected inflation. In between the September and November FOMC meetings, the Fed found itself still being surprised at the upside by inflation. You know, this week's inflation data was a little bit better, but the Fed is still at a juncture where they're more likely to be revising up their inflation forecasts than down their inflation forecasts. And I think with that very elevated inflation backdrop. You know, for the near term, the Fed is going to continue its relatively hawkish rhetoric. It's going to continue to raise rates. It's going to continue to, I think, or increasingly discuss a terminal funds rate near 5%. And I think they're going to try to follow through with that. So I think as we head into 2023, you know, the inflation backdrop implies a Federal Reserve that wants to continue to raise rates and find ways of pushing back against the inflation. Now, our expectation is, however, that over the course of 2023, that that flips and flips quite meaningfully. You know, we're expecting inflation to move lower and we're expecting meaningful economic weakness to develop as we go through into the second quarter and into the third quarter. We think that will prompt a rethink by the Federal Reserve and that they will move to at first, at least reduce the restrictiveness of monetary policy. The monetary policy that's being put in place now, we estimate to be quite restrictive. It'll be a headwind to growth, but it also gives the Federal Reserve some room in order to reduce the restrictiveness if they do see meaningful economic weakness. And this was something that Chair Powell actually mentioned in his press conference after the FOMC meeting. He said that if they over-tightened, that that is a risk, but they do know how to respond in the other direction if they need to ease. And he pointed to the pandemic example as how quickly and forcefully they can ease if necessary. But I think for the near term, the direction of travel remains a hawkish Federal Reserve and rising short-term interest rates. 
I think they want to keep the terminal rate that's priced into the front end of the markets near 5% or a little above. And I think that for the near term, they're going to try to maintain that pricing and follow through with interest rate hikes. But after they see material economic weakness, we expect they would respond and remove some of the restrictive policy and begin to cut interest rates in the second half of next year. At the risk of asking you a question you've already just answered then, Jonathan, I mean, there's some talk a little bit about, you know, whether we've already over tightened. We mentioned this easing of the restrictiveness. Is there a worry that tightening could break things? You know, could tightening break the housing market? It's a bit of a facile question, but people are asking that. We don't think of it as a break, like it's going to snap like a twig. But what we see is a breaking that is underway. You know, you're already seeing the effect of higher interest rates affect the housing market, or you're seeing that impact on the housing market. And it's actually been surprising to see how quickly house prices shifted from rising to falling and how quickly they've been falling in the data in the last few months. So you're already seeing that impact, and you're, you're going to see negative impacts related to the interest rate increases intensify in the coming months. Now, is that a break? Like there's all of a sudden, you know, it looks like something snaps? Maybe. But we are expecting this to be a process that over the next six months, the rising interest rates do prove to be a pretty material weight on the economy. Perhaps just a final thought and maybe get you both to just sort of throw things ahead. Reinhard, I'll come to you first of all. What's maybe a key thing to keep front of mind? If we look at monetary policy considerations, you know, for the next 12 months or so, what would you kind of pick out? And I always find it interesting. Is it instructive ever to look at different periods in history, different moments, different challenges to see things that might indicate a direction of travel? Or do we always need to be very careful precisely not to do that and look at the unique combination of circumstances that's currently confronting us? Yeah, I would say the uncertainty over inflation remains huge. But once we see a comprehensive shift in the inflation environment, I think that from there, many things will follow, including the central bank pivot, also recovery, perhaps in sentiment of risk asset. So that is going to be key to watch, I think, over the next couple of months. So we need to see not just year over year uh, rates come lower. We need to see also core inflation and all sorts of core inflation indicators, trimmed means and so forth come lower. We also need to see that this is going to have a positive impact on inflation expectations because they have risen. These are a cause for concern. So if we were to see some sort of comprehensive turn in the inflation environment that would give central banks greater confidence that the worst is now behind and that we're on a good way to return to inflation targets before too long. I think that would be absolutely crucial for a shift in monetary policy and for broader market confidence. So that's one of the key questions we would be watching going forward. And Jonathan, to you as well, maybe a final thought. What to keep an eye on? I mean, I guess it might be expedient to consider things like, you know, what if we're even slightly wrong with our inflation readings and disinflation isn't quite as fast as maybe it might be? Is that a key thing to worry about? What would you sort of do to mark our cards for the next 12 months? So Mary Daly, uh, the San Francisco Fed president, was asked what she's watching, and she said she's watching three things. Inflation, inflation, and inflation. (laughs) So I I do think that that is pretty central. You know, they do want to see inflation coming down, and the rate and speed with which it comes down matters a lot for how much the Fed might be able to respond to economic weakness that develops in the labor market. So when we think about what to watch, obviously inflation is front and center. And then if inflation does come down, the next thing to watch, I think, really is the U.S. labor market. Because if the labor market starts to show signs of cracking, and inflation is falling, 
That'll actually, I think, together combine to create what could be a relatively fast and reactive Fed thereafter. So I think you know, certainly right now we're all keeping our eyes on inflation. As the labor market slows, I think the degree to which it slows is also going to end up being important. And I think if you put those two things together, you'll have a pretty good handle on what the FOMC reaction function might be. Jonathan Pingle, and before that, Reinhard Kloser of UBS Investment Bank. And that brings us to the end of this edition of The Bulletin with UBS, setting the agenda in the fast-moving world of finance each week here on Monocle 24. Listen again and explore at monocle.com. That's where you can join the club by subscribing to Monocle magazine. You can also follow the programme wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to discover more and find out how UBS can help you at ubs.com. This is The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24. I'm Tom Edwards. Thanks for listening.